everyone, and welcome back to our third episode of the Music Education and Technology Podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that's here to help music educators understand and navigate the tricky waters of technology. And uh, myself, Chris Russell, and Paul Shimmons from Michigan. Hi, everybody. And uh, we, we visit together and talk about some topics. Later in today's episode, we'll be visiting with Katie Dwinnell, who's been working with Quaver Music. And uh, today we're going to go over some news, some uh, hot topics or some suggestions, and then just remind everybody about uh, emailing our podcast if you have requests and things like that. So, Paul, what's new with you these days? Uh, news on the um, update front. I just saw that Flat sent out a notice that um, you can now customize staves in Flat, which basically boils down to you can tweak how like uh, on a piano stave or a piano score, you can maybe have three lines instead of just the normal two. So it's nice to see that flat is plugging away and keeping on updating things. Now, just kind of on that topic is when would you use that? Is there a time that you as a band director would ever use that kind of feature? You know, there's a lot of instruments in flat, but every now and then I just, I've, I get this weird one where it's not in there and I have to set it up myself. So I don't know. I, you know, I haven't had time to dig into it a whole lot. And um, it's a good question. Good question. Are you doing any of their, I also saw there was an email yesterday where they're talking about live MIDI recording. Have you been doing any of that into flat yet? I have not done it into flat, but that's the way I would prefer to record everything because I'm a keyboard player. So that would be very useful depending on how well it works. I haven't tried it. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see how that's working, and I'm not a, what do they call it, the flat power? Is that what they call that that paid version? Yeah, I think so, yep. And have you have you done the subscription to flat yet, of buying it? I am, I'm still in the process of deciding with my students, are we going to go with flat or um, note flight? So I have not upgraded yet. Okay, if, if you do go that way, let us know in the future, like, how that process went and, and how easy it was to do, because I think other people would want to know about that. Right. So flat customizing staves and or staves we should probably say right. Yep, staves. And and then um, also their their live audio uh, recording. Uh, since we last talked, iOS iOS 10 came out and it has already like 50% of mobile devices that are Apple devices are running it. I have it on both my phone and my iPad and it seems pretty stable. Have you had any weird things happen with iOS 10 yet? I was running the beta version, and I've been running the beta version for quite a while, and there was only a few things that popped up, and all those apps that I had that had issues have now been updated. So it's it's smooth, I think. It's running smooth. There was one thing that I just saw. As a Notion user, um, there is a f- problem now with iOS 10 and Notion on the iPad, probably also on the f- iPhone which is if you go to double tap and select a measure, you can't do it right now. The, the app crashes. Oh, nice. <laughs> so so they have a fix for it, which is um, they, they're being a part of the beta group. They didn't originally see that problem when iOS was in beta, but when it came out as the actual standard, it started happening. And you have to go in there and you have to turn off something. And I should probably go in and, and see what that actual setting is. But it has something to do with, oh, it's selecting and reading text. It's one of the options in settings. Okay. And if you turn if you turn that off, then it will no longer crash. So I'm sure there will be an update soon that addresses that problem. But there is a fix around it if you've been using Notion and suddenly you're going, hey, it's crashing when I go to 
select a measure. Well, there's there's your answer with iOS. It's good that they already found out what the problem was, or, or, or at least the workaround. I, I sent them a video of it happening, and then they wrote back with, hey, go turn this off and see what happens. And sure, I'm just thinking, how, how do you go about figuring out that it's the select and read text option that causes it to crash? That's just... I would never put those two together. Yeah, me either. Oh, you know, I did find one thing with iOS 10 is YouTube subscriptions are not on iPad are just being weird. And they know that and um, they're working on that. But that's the only thing I've found so far. Okay. And is that using the the YouTube app or is it just using yeah, just, the browser? Yeah, it's using the uh, YouTube app. And I have a ton of subscriptions, so it's kind of really annoying to me, but... I just jump into the browser and it works fine. The other related topic with that one is the latest version of macOS came out called Sierra. And uh, both you and I, for different reasons, are not upgrading to Sierra. Uh, yeah, I could. Technically, I have a 2010 MacBook, but, you know, there's just so many things that I really can't use. Like, for instance, handoff doesn't work on mine. Um the auto unlock doesn't work. AirPlay doesn't work. Uh, the power nap doesn't work. AirDrop doesn't work. <laughs> so you know, I'm kind of scratching my head going, well, I think I'm just going to hold still. And yours is too old, right? Yeah, I have a 2008 MacBook that I bought when I wanted to start writing iPhone programs. And then I really quickly found out that I didn't have the programming knowledge to do it. Yeah, you find that, the, you find that really quick, don't you? you? You really do because what people don't understand is that like an iPhone app has two sides to it. It has an actual coding in the background and then it has a graphic interface at the same time. And you actually have to be able to program in both those worlds to make an app happen. And there are a few services that will do that for you. You know, you just kind of design the end product and it kind of runs on a backbone. But if you're really a programmer, you're doing those two things. And even now there's a brand new app on the iPad called Swift, uh, Swift Playgrounds. And that's kind of fun. You actually learn how to program and I've been learning how to program in Swift which is Apple's new sort of language instead of the Cocoa C that they used to use but anyway I, years... so do you feel like you're making progress oh I am but just you know I'm I'm just beginning and I'm sure there are 12 year olds that program 10 times better than I do <laughs> yeah. already but with that I, I bought that MacBook with the intent to program I think I spent $1,500 at it at the time that was 2008. It was the very first aluminum MacBook. That's before they became the MacBook Pro. The next year they turned into the Pro line, but it was the aluminum unibody MacBook, and I loved it. Still love it. Um, dropped it once. Has a big dent on the side. Uh, just replaced the hard drive this last summer with an SSD card. And by the way, if you want to improve the life or the, the operation of your Mac, what you do is you go buy an SSD drive for it, and it just makes it so much faster. And I saw one for... Let's see, you had like 480 gigabytes, right? Yeah, 480 gigabytes for 90 bucks. And I saw one for like uh, twice that amount, and it was like 130 bucks. So like a terabyte, that's what it is. I'm trying to think what that was. Terabyte for like 130 bucks the other day. Yep, that and your RAM are the two things to improve. Now, again, newer Macs than mine, so like your MacBook, it's not as easy to replace a hard drive as it used to be, but it's still doable if you're good with like any kind of tools or disassembling things. 
but it's man, it's it's something I would totally recommend. But anyway, long story short, is I've been able to upgrade the MacBook even though I haven't had lots of features. Like again, like you said, AirDrop doesn't work, and um, I don't have um, Bluetooth MIDI without using that little Bluetooth dongle that I I wrote about this summer. So yep. um, I'm stuck now. They they're no longer making my old MacBook upgradable. So at some point, I've got to upgrade. I think you and I are both waiting for Apple to do something significant. I think so. And the magic number, by the way, for everybody is probably the the 2012 MacBook seems to have most of the features still. So if yep. you if you have a 2012 or newer, you could still buy a used 2012 or a 2014. But I would not buy a brand new MacBook until they come out with new things whenever that happens. <laughs> we're we're hoping and holding our breath, but it's a really long breath. <laughs> And, and nobody's saying anything right now. All the blogs are silent. And normally, if you'd think that they'd be introducing new Macs in early October, that something would have leaked already. But it's not, right. it's, today, it's as we're recording this, it's Friday, September 23rd. Nothing. Nothing officially out there. I'm getting anxious. So, long story short, so we've got some updates there with Flat, iOS 10, and Sierra. And then one of the things we want to talk about were, were tips and tricks so, Paul, you had a combination news item and tip and trick thing that you wanted to package together. I do. Um, as a music teacher, I am constantly recording my ensembles. And that's obviously like performances, but it's also in rehearsal. Um, and then being able to play that back just immediately for my kids to hear does wonders for them in, in their progress. And Cubasis, which is made by Steinberg... Um, same company that does Sibelius has uh, Cubase is now up to version two. No, wait, I'll actually correct. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to correct you there. It's not, it's not uh, Sibelius. It's yes, Doracle, right? Doracle. Thank you. I knew they were one, one of those music notation apps. So right, yeah, Sibelius is Avid. Yeah. So yep. Cubase two is now out and has had a couple of nice um, updates to it. And the nice thing is. It's um, half price until October um, 6th, and it's so it's $25 right now. And so if you have not purchased uh, a, an audio recording app for your iPad, now might be the time to jump in and do it because it's been updated, and we're all hot in the middle of these rehearsals, getting ready for our next concert and such, and you should be doing that stuff. Now, you've used a number of digital audio workstations on the iPad, right? I have, yes. So what just off the cuff which one do you like the best that's kind of a trick question because cubasis is the one that i constantly find myself going to when i need a full featured daw if i need something just really quick and dirty then a lot of times i'll use multi-track um oh what is that multi-track daw daw but it's just real plain simple and it's a little bit of a lighter footprint Okay. Just, I mean, because again, that's part of the world that I don't, I don't really immerse myself into. So it's just, it's good to have you here because all that side of it, I just don't have that experience. Right. You know? Well, and like I said, you know, this is a, one of those things where it's nice to buy one of these things um, and start doing it in class. And that's a way to force yourself to kind of dive in and start working on it and trying to figure out that stuff. I was just thinking about that. There's, there are certain teachers though, however, that, that's not a good solution though because <laughs> like for us we we don't have a problem and if we have something go wrong like with new technology both of us can shrug that off and it doesn't ruin our day 
Um, but there are teachers that if sure. the technology goes wrong, they just package it back up and never take it out again. So, yeah, it is sad, but yeah, it's, it's sad, a reality though. for a lot of people. Um, and I would just suggest to those people that, okay, in that case, do your homework before you take it into class, but then actually try it. Make a commitment to, to doing it. And what I always tell people is when you're in, doing something new, and you're, if you're not a super techie like we are, um, just go for one thing that you do in your class. Just do one thing and then just build yep. off of that. Yeah, that's that's an excellent tip is pick one thing for this semester and just go for it. Try it. Dig in and start learning yeah. it. And then if you're a techie like Paul or I, well, just see, you know, it's like the spaghetti method. <laughs> just take it all, throw it against the wall and see what sticks. There you go. <laughs> kind of, there you go. So it's kind of fun. Let's see. My tip that I was going to talk about was one of the tools that I've used quite a bit is the camera connection kit that Apple sells. And they're, they used to box them all together with the 30 pin adapter, but now they sell them separately. I think they're in the $20 range, maybe 29, as much as that. And uh, you can connect all sorts of things via that USB camera connection kit. So you can connect, uh, like I'm talking on a the blue snowball mic right now you can connect an external mic you can connect uh actual normal computer keyboard you can connect a midi keyboard it just has so many functions beyond above above what it was originally intended for which was to import pictures from a camera or a, a video camera to your ipad so that would be my tip to people was to be invest if you have an ipad invest in that camera connection kit and the nice thing, too, is since they've come out with the USB 3 camera connector kit, you can charge your iPad and use some of those external devices. In the past, if you were using you know, a MIDI keyboard hooked up through that connector kit, you'd be draining your iPad, and when you ran out of battery, you're out of luck. But now they've got that one where you can actually plug in the adapter and whatever external device you're using. Which is a lot like the newer version of the VGA adapter too, right? That also plugs in. I haven't looked at that. Yeah, I, mine, I was... mine does. And I also have the HDMI one. That's a long story. But a year ago, I, I presented at the Wisconsin Music Educators Conference. And I'll be back there in October again. Uh, but they sent out an email saying they will only have HDMI connections. So I went out and I bought an HDMI <laughs> adapter and no, actually, that was Minnesota. It was Minnesota that last year that said that we'll only offer HDMI connections. So I went out and bought the $50 HDMI adapter, and it was a VGA connector in the room. So, oh, geez. yeah, but it's okay. So now I have it. So if I ever go to a convention, so no, it wasn't Wisconsin. It was um, Minnesota last year that did that. <laughs> of course. So we're going to be in the second half of this podcast visiting with Katie Dwinnell. She's with Quaver Music and someone that I've had a chance to meet through time in the past. Um, she was a elementary music educator for a couple of years, three or four years, uh, teaching at the K-5 level. And then she moved on to become a product specialist and representative with Quaver Music. So I really uh, enjoyed our chat with her because she brings the world of elementary music that I delve in so very little. Yeah, she had a lot of good insights, a lot of knowledge about Quaver, which I didn't know about much. So, A lot of knowledge, and there's supposedly a lot of coming news, too, about those products. So that's something to keep our eye on. And as we, as we switch over there, just want to remind everyone that we do have a email address that you are welcome to contact us at. It's 
etpodcast at gmail.com. And if you email us, we'll get back to you. There was a suggestion from the last podcast that we have a site or location where we put links to things. And that's something that Paul and I are going to have to talk about, whether we create a separate blog or something for the podcast that both of us can contribute on. Yeah, because we, we both have our own. Yeah, we both have our own blogs right now, and we haven't really discussed making a third one. So, and it gets hard to just maintain your own blog. Right. Right. You know. In fact, if you look around, how many blogs have just gone silent since we started blogging? Oh yeah, the ton. You know, so it's it's difficult to keep so many balls up in the air. So, so I don't know. We'll we'll look at the idea of adding links. And just a reminder to people that if you have questions that you'd like us to ponder or talk about or find a specialist to talk about with, or if you have somebody that you'd like to hear from, um, we've been, Paul and I have been, both been contacting some other people to see if they'd be interested in coming on the podcast. And uh, hopefully um, more and more people will be wanting to come on and, and not only representing their product, but helping music educators know what's out there. Yep. And I think we need to mention too, that we've moved um, our podcast to SoundCloud because there were so many people that were interested in listening and we were first on Podomatic and we just kind of blew through all of our free, <laughs> free, free allowance on there. So we've moved our, everything over to SoundCloud for our podcast episodes. And I'd also like to do a shout out to Lauren Finkelstein, who's been communicating with me and I think you too, Paul, for years and um, fellow iPad brother and a singer out in New York. And he listened to our first podcast and said, hey, I couldn't hear Paul very well. And he helped us kind of set up our, our new way of recording these podcasts. Originally, we were trying to record Skype conversations, and that really wasn't the way to do it. So if you're curious how a podcast is made, what we all do is we all record locally on our on a device while we're chatting via Skype on another device and uh, so sometimes we're, we're still learning like how to have headphones level sets that you can't hear like a uh, background and um, we're trying to eliminate when we mix it together because each person sends us a master and then we kind of glue it together we're trying to learn how to you know eliminate background noises and other things but that's kind of how the podcast is being created so I'd like to thank Lauren for for number one listening but also giving us some advice as he's heard how other podcasts are created. Sounds good. Time to talk to Katie. Yep. Time to talk to Katie. So thanks everybody for listening. Feel free to get in touch with us and thanks much for listening. podcast the music and education and technology podcast uh hosted by chris russell and paul shimmons and today we have as our guest katie dwinnell who is with quaver music so katie uh why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do with quaver well um i am the key accounts rep for the northeast and all international sales with quaver music i've been with the company about a uh, little over two years now, about two and a half. Um, came from a K to five background, so I've been doing a lot of um, not only selling the program but helping teachers around the Northeast and um, around the globe help incorporate it into their classroom and be more comfortable with technology. Can you talk a little bit more about what Quaver is for people that don't know anything about it? 
Of course. Um, Quaver is a K to eight, well, soon to be pre-K to eight, cloud-based customizable general music curriculum. So it has, we have all kinds of pre-built lessons. We have lessons that can be customizable to every teacher's needs. We have supplemental resources. And then we also have tons and tons of songs, um, a, a large song repertoire. And um, our main thing is to create 21st century resources that meet um, our 21st century learners' needs on with a lot of uh, great visuals and a, um, a lot of great resources for teachers to be able to pick and choose from to help them in their classroom. So you say cloud-based. Teachers have to access this through a computer or what do they access it with? They access it through a computer mostly. Um, so say I can log in, I go to quavermusic.com. Um, I can actually log into the website and then I have access to all of my resources from there. So I can log into any machine, go to Quaver, the Quaver website and I'll be able to get everything that I've pulled together, all my resources, everything like that. Does it run on iPad yet or is it still kind of iPad unfriendly? Um, we are actually working on our mobile program. We have some great things that are out now and some great things that are coming in the future. Um, right now we have a wonderful, what we call our Q student app that allows students to have access to all of our inter student interactives, which is all kinds of um, activities where say a student has a mobile device in front of them. They can be playing with these activities, whether it's in a large group following along with the teacher, or if it's in a small group, or even individual. Um, and then they also can take assessments through this app. So we have our mobile assessments, which a teacher can launch from their computer. And then uh, answer key actually pops up on the mobile device and the students actually follow along. So a the teacher would be reading the question on the board and then saying, is it A, B, C, or D? And the student actually is able to choose what they think the right answer is. And then they can submit that assessment and it automatically grades it for the teacher and shows up in their grade book in the program. So, so the, like in that case, the teacher or the students are using like iPads or something in their own hands then. Yes. And the teachers running the, the test or quiz from the board then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have that. And then we also have a bunch of stuff coming um, very soon. Actually, I was just playing with it today. It's very exciting. I can't really go into f much further detail right now. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have tons of more stuff coming. But the what we have right now, the QStudent app allows the assessments mainly and the interactives. Now, I know they have a couple standalone uh, apps as well, like Questroids or whatever it's called, where it's like Asteroids. Um, but really, it's a game, though, that teaches subdivision. I mean, that's the philosophy is here you're playing Asteroids, so your whole note becomes two half notes, and your two half notes become two quarter notes, and it, it makes a lot of sense. So I know they've got some of that stuff that's been out for a while, but it sounds like they're on the edge of doing some other new things, and, and we won't ask you to reveal anything you can't. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, we like to keep secrets and all of a sudden come up with great surprises and the teacher's like, whoa, where'd that come from? Um, but yeah, we have those two standalone apps. Those are sort of our, um, we have Q Astronauts and then we have Q Dancer. 
And those two were kind of our um, first leap into mobile. We wanted to do something that was sort of out of the box. So we started there and then kind of went and took our own direction. And that's where Q Student came out. This is a um, subscription-based service? Yes. Um, So basically what a teacher or a school can do is um, they can they purchase a certain amount of years so you can do between a one-year license to up to like a 10-year license um and then the we have two different types of licenses and depending on the um sort of building environment and what's best for the teachers who are purchasing and then they have uh access to the pro the program from there and then sometimes say if it's a one-year renewal, they have to renew year after year, but they have access to all kinds of different resources, which really makes it worthwhile for them. Is this a per-student thing, or is it just like per building? It's mainly per building. So you can either get like a site license, which is for the entire building, or and you can have multiple teachers on that license, or a personal license, which would help out, say, a traveling teacher who travels to multiple schools in a district. So in the case of that situation, um, if, if you were a teacher hearing about this for the first time today, what would be the ballpark figure amount that a teacher would be having to shoot for to ask a principal to, to kind of cover the cost of Quaver? So say um, we have like a K-5 elementary teacher who is looking for that whole K-5 license um, and they want to just try it out for one year. Um, at one year, it's a little over 1500 for all of the resources. Um, and then it kind of goes up from there. And at the five year, say if they wanted it like a five year license instead of one year, there's a price break there. So it's, a lot of times it's more worthwhile if a district can, or, or a school can come up with the uh, funds. It's more worthwhile for them to get a five year license because technically it's less money and they get a little bit more bang for the buck. Okay. I mean, just, you know, it's just, whenever I'm looking at an initiative, it's always the question of how much is that going to cost me, you know, kind of deal. So when we went to ukuleles last year, uh, it was about $2,000 for all the ukuleles and, and all the hardware involved. And just knowing how much things cost is really important. Now, I remember what I was going to ask earlier, which was Chromebooks. So this means that is Quaver still Chromebook friendly and is everything good with Chromebooks? Of course, um, with, on Chromebooks, the students would actually go into the regular QuaverMusic.com website and to be able to log in from there. They wouldn't need the Q Student app, but they can go through and have access to all the interactives and things like that from that device. So there's a possibility if you've got Chromebooks that students could actually kind of do an enrichment thing on their own in addition to just kind of following what the teacher leads on the screen is what you're saying. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, Especially with, say, our six to eight program, which is all project-based, there's tons of different resources that students can do that allow them to be using those Chromebooks um, independently or small group. So how are most teachers doing this? Are they, do they have like a whole classroom set of devices um, and the kids are doing like we just talked about they're on their own working through things or do you think most teachers are doing it just by using the one teacher computer up front on the screen um that's a that's a tricky question um because i mean as you guys know there's so every classroom is different um 
so i mean we have teachers who have the full gamut from the expensive smart board with all the tools and um kind of everything included and then the ipad cart in their room and a device for every student all that to the teachers who just got a projector because they rented it from the library and it's on a cart <laughs> and they're using the sheets uh kind of taped to the wall sort of thing um, so, I mean, you see, you see both sides a lot. And I know I, I've been to a lot of classrooms where you see, I mean, I, I've been to classrooms where I've had to bring in my projector to, for a teacher to borrow for a couple of classes because they needed, they didn't have a projector yet, but they wanted to see the program in action. Um, so it, you really do see both sides of the story. Um, and it it's hard to say whether they're using it one way and whether, whether they're using it another. But the cost doesn't change, though. No. No, so cost does not change. It could be going both directions. Yeah, all right. Do you, do you find that teachers are using Quaver as their primary curriculum now, or is it still, for most teachers, an addendum to their curriculum? How, how are you seeing that being used? Um, we actually are reaching a lot more first year or beginning teachers um, who really are walking at, either have been thrown into this position um, or are really recently walking out of college with feeling like, man, I really need more of a, I, I need more direction. Um, so we really are seeing a lot of teachers use it as this is what I do. This is everything that I do. But of course, we still do have the teachers who we love who have been teaching 30 plus years and use it as a nice supplement to sort of reinvigorate what they're doing. Um, but yeah, we do see a lot of we are seeing more and more um, beginning teachers who are relying on us to um, elevate their elevate their program and give them some direction. We actually have a new um, college initiative that uh, allows a lot of say, college students to get their hands on us before they graduate. And so they're coming out and saying, oh, I had this in college and this is what I'm really comfortable with and what I'm excited about. So I, I'm going to make sure that I carry that on to my first position. What is that college initiative? Um, the college initiative, it's brand new, but what we do is we walk into a um, walk into a music ed department in um, a university and we speak with the, oh, I apologize, there's a dog on my couch. Um, <laughs> he, he's moving around just in case you hear him bark. Um, but uh, we actually go in and we speak to the either the department head or the methods professor, the elementary or second, secondary methods professor. And um, we actually work with them. We give them a license for the semester that they teach the methods class for free. And they actually build into their curriculum how to use Quaver, how to teach Quaver, how to use a digital curriculum sort of be, being prepared to teach with those digital tools and then any students that are in that um, that go through that program if, when they become graduating seniors they get a free year of the program in their first job now the question i was going to ask that paul and i were asking the same question at the same time was uh, if you are a college professor that's teaching music education technology right now 
and you say, oh my gosh, I want that for my students, who should they reach out to at Quaver to get a part of that program? Um, your local rep. So I would be the local sales rep for the Northeast, and we have about seven other sales reps that um, cover the country. And that's easily found on our website, which rep covers um, which part of the country. Th that would be your first um, sort of line to go through. But yeah, we're so reachable that it, it, we're such a small company too, that if you reach out to somebody and say, hey, that I'd love to get going on this, basically they'll pass you off to the right person. It's, we're a close family. And you've got some overseas involvement too, because right. didn't you just go to Scotland so with a K five. Um, I didn't go to Scotland with Quaver. That was more of a vacation. Okay, I thought you were. Um, <laughs> what, what, what can people find? Um, so that's no, our free I wish you, website. It, Sometimes I wish a lot I was able to build business trips sort of throughout. Um, that, it's that was embedded throughout I the curriculum with different activities and such. Um, but um, any any kid can walk, kind of stumble across QuaverMusic.com and sign up for a free account, and they can do all kinds of activities. Um, but with the website itself, they can create music. So we have uh, sort of a colorful version of a drum machine. We have uh, traditional notation. We have um, cue grooves, which is kind of like the loops in GarageBand where you're creating an accompaniment track. Um, and then we have we have uh, like our phone box where the kids can travel back in time and visit different musical periods and composers, uh, read about their lives or what's happening in that period, um, play games, and of course, as Chris was saying with our Q astronauts, which is on the kids website, all of our games have some sort of purpose. So a lot of them like uh, Q Splat teaches them about it teaches about um, duration, and then you've got Q Astronauts, which is teaches about subdivision. So they have those games. Um, we have Ear IQ, which is ear training. Um, so they're lear they're learning to listen for different chord types like major and minor um they're learning about to listen for different intervals and then they're learning about to listen for high low pitch too in ear iq um and then what else do we have in there we have so much and then we have our metro too which they can go on us uh on sort of the underground tube and go to different um style venues so like a rock venue or a folk venue and learn about those different musical styles and they can read about them and listen to, the, to examples and do all that too so it's a lot in there um, and that's what we have a lot of that we consider our student resources that's a bulk of what our student resources that the kids can do um, either for free or um, teachers can build into different instruction and that's free that part of it's free Mm-hmm. So that's very useful. Yeah. And then there's a Quaver Music Library. What is that? Um, the Music Library, um, that is actually, I'm trying to, the Music Library itself, I think you're talking about class play. Um, that is our song-based activity hub, which is part of the teacher resources. 
And that has um, basic, we have everything in there from folk music to classical to styles, everything like that. And um, there's all kinds of different activities that surround each song. So say if a teacher wants to teach Farmer in the Dell, not only do they have the lyrics to Farmer in the Dell, they have a video of the actual instruments playing Farmer in the Dell that was recorded in our studio to a game, uh, the Farmer in the Dell game um, to even if different awesome facts about the song itself. And then they have all kinds of printables and things like that that follow each song. So that's, I mean, a lot of that is the built in our class play. And is it, that's for use with uh, recorders and piano and singing? We have a full recorder unit. It's a 12-week recorder unit that is in our third grade level. Um, and that has tons of different songs from Quaver Originals to, like, we have a we have hot cross buns in there. I mean, traditional, everybody's favorite, right? Um, <laughs> that we've actually mixed into, that we've remixed, made a little, kind of Quaverized it. And um, there's a rap built in there. Um, then we also have our keyboard unit in eighth grade, and then we also have our ukulele unit, which is not only in fifth grade, but also in seventh. So it's in two different places. We originally had our ukulele unit in seventh grade, and the um, our elementary teachers got jealous a little bit and um, asked for it to be moved down to fifth, so we moved it down there too. So we have all kinds of those songs in there. And then we also have ORF, lots and lots of ORF instrumentation. Oh, okay. So teachers could print out, there's like music that they could print out so their kids could play with it. Nice. Yeah. So they can print it out having the physical um, paper in front of them or everything's projected on the board too. Okay. I was going to ask, oh, sorry, go, I was going to ask if about one specific thing, Katie, that one of early on, um, a couple of years ago, one of my good friends who's a Kodai expert um, talked to a local Kodai or a local rep from Quaver and kind of was addressing the lack of some Kodai connections in Quaver. And I just wanted to see what what's improved there. Actually, so not really making a negative, but a positive. What's what's improved with like Kodai and ORF integration with Quaver over the last couple of years? That is actually a great question and great timing too, because we actually are getting ready to launch our, I, I think on Thursday, we're actually pushing out our new um, Kodai ORF and music learning theory section. We're calling song-based lessons. And what we did with these, and it's a specific area that's gonna be in our teacher resources that actually says Kodai ORF music learning theory. Um, and those are specific lessons that are based around a song. They're very process driven. And um, what we did was we actually have hired recent, well, probably in the last six months, we've actually hired, um, her name is Alyssa. She's her actual title is director of pedagogy, um, vocal pedagogy. And she is actually Kodai level three and ORF level three certified and used to teach at a Kodai Institute in the Midwest. Um, she came on and helped us write a lot of those lessons. We have a lot of Kodai experts who have, uh, and ORF experts who have helped us write those lessons as well. Um, so yeah, it's a brand new section that's coming out that is very, um, it, it, it's for those very Kodai uh, or ORF or music learning theory minded teachers. 
That's fantastic. And I, I also wanted to just, if you can pass this along, in this era where music um, music conventions, that vendor area continues to shrink in most places, um, it is so nice to see Quaver actually doubling down in those conventions. They're everywhere all the time where other places are disappearing. And I think that's so important, not just so that people see you and learn what you're about, but also just it supports those conventions. It helps pay for those conventions. And I know they cost a lot of money to have one of those booths in a lot of those places. So just thank them for their, I mean, they're everywhere. They're, you name the state, they're there. It's just, it's fantastic. Thank you. Yes, I will make sure to pass that on. Um, yeah, we want to make sure we get out and see our teachers and want to make sure that they're okay. I mean, there's some teachers that I might see once or twice a year, and that's because they come to the conventions and stop by the booth and I give them a hug and that's my time to come see them. So yeah, we, we feel that's very, very important just to get our face out there and not only see people who haven't seen us before, but make sure that those teachers that really have supported us, uh, we can, we see in person. As a band director, um, are there things in Quaver that I could be making use of? Yeah, um, we actually are topic-based topic supplements, are essentials. Um, we have many, many uh, ensemble directors who use them. Um, so basically what they are is um, they, they were our first thing that we came out with. And we came out with this when I was still at the teaching K-5, to so it's been a while. Um, but we came out with those and we have our 30 Quaver episodes. Um, they come on DVD, um, but you can also get a, uh, stream them online. And um, they introduce rhythm and um, pitch and kind of the basics. And um, also musical styles and instrument uh, families and things like that. And um, then there's a ton of online content that corresponds to each of those sort of quaver episodes. Um, and we have, I mean, I have many ensemble directors who will say, you know what, I need something, we need, I need help to reinforce rhythm or something like that. Maybe we're working on dotted notes and I need a quick activity. And um, what they do is they go onto the website, they log in, they can go to the online content and say, you know what, I need this activity, I need this interactive board, I need this to pull up, do for five minutes, and then go on to practice our repertoire. So we have tons and tons of ensemble directors who are using that. Great. Yeah. What people may not realize is that Katie was a fantastic young teacher. She was actually honored by the time organization as the teacher of the year. I don't know how many years ago that was now, three or four, like that. 20, and, 2014, yeah. I thought you were 20 years ago. I was like, no, not 20 years. <laughs> um, but after, after that, then she quickly stepped out of that role as a teacher into Quaver, which at, at some points I felt like was a huge loss because we're using, we're losing this young, motivated teacher. And what I was telling Katie via Twitter earlier today was at some point, I'm not opposed to asking Katie just to join us to dig deeper into the questions about elementary music education and things like that, because I've always been a secondary educator. Paul has done some elementary, right, Paul? Yep, just about, well, I don't know, six years worth. Well, somebody just had a very loud motorcycle go past them. 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm in an area where we have one of the biggest bike weeks uh, out of the entire country. I'm not surprised. What bike week is, is that? Laconia? That. Is that what that is? Yes. Okay. Yes. Sam a motorcyclist, so I, I would know some of these things. I've never been there. Um, but anyway, so I would love to unpack at some point more, some even some discussion about things that secondary music educators should know about elementary and things that elementary should know about secondary because we're all supposed to know about each other. But I think after several years of teaching, you don't. And um, so I just would love to unpack that. And that might be another episode, another podcast to talk about. If you're open, Katie, if this isn't too painful for you. <laughs> no, not at all. It's fun to talk to you guys. But the other thing that I'd like you to talk a little bit about is beyond just Quaver. And if there's other things you want to say about Quaver, I'm not opposed to that. But you are a young, at the point, where a young educator doing some really creative things in your classroom. And I'm sure that when I'm blogging, music educators that are elementary music educators are sometimes just dying for something that would be more relevant to them. And what what are some of the things that you've done and would do today if you were back in the classroom beyond just Quaver? I mean, obviously Quaver is an answer that you would do. Like, I'll just give you one example. I know you were doing Skype classroom visits across the country with other people, but what are a couple just I don't know, two or three ideas we could throw out that would help some music educators, particularly elementary music educators today. Um, well, of course, Skype's always the big one. I mean, that is, I, I felt very strongly about using Skype in my classroom, um, not only from just the whole idea of being able to connect my kids to uh, another school or classroom that was maybe, I mean, not only in another state, but even halfway around the world. Um, like one time we actually Skyped with a school that was in England, that we did um, the global Skype classroom, day, global Skype day, and they came on and we actually sang songs to each other. Um, we, like my kids sang a patriotic and their kids sang a English folk tune. And the kids learned so much from that. And the buzz just that was generated from that kind of shook the whole school. Um, I remember having my principal actually coming up uh, later on after that Skype happened. And he was like, what did you do in class today? I, he's like, I keep hearing something about Skype and music and I, I just want to know and I it kind of started that snowballing effect where I had administrators come in every time we did another Skype and we started getting more and more visits and the kids found it I the kids absolutely loved it um, that's something I always always feel strongly about is um, kind of having teachers put themselves out on a limb and meeting going going to find somebody else that's not in their sort of area and um, starting a relationship like that. Um, I mean, that's one thing. And another thing is, um, I mean, mobile devices. I, I, I remember I didn't even, I wasn't even into um, iPad, iPads or anything like that until I, I think it was I had broken my broken my leg my the end of my first year of teaching and decided you know what I need something to play with while I'm sitting on the couch and <laughs> and I went and got one and this was like an iPad 2 and I started playing with it and then I started bringing it into the classroom and you can see especially at the elementary level it's they're actually their fine motor control isn't built 
well enough to be able to handle a mouse or something like that. So that actually using their finger is much more effective um, for them to be doing different technology, uh, technology activities. So being able to bring that medium in, um, I mean, the, those kids were teaching me more about how to use it because it was more, they were able to kind of jump in on it. And then everything that's come up, um, all the new apps and everything that's come up for those devices in recent years, it may, there's so many creative things that you can do with it, even if you only have one device for your classroom. Um, I had, like, I had uh, either GarageBand or, um, oh, what was it? Another, I forget the recording app, but it sent directly to a website. Um, a private website, but um, I always had my iPad mini with me. I still do. <laughs> um, just for those of you that can't see the video, which you can't, um, Kitty <laughs> just held up her iPad. That's just what happened there, just so you know. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but I always had that iPad mini with me, and I always was recording, and then I'd have the students listen back, and we could we could really get into some critical thinking um, activities with those recordings and it made it, it made it so much more interesting and those kids were able to really think about oh yeah I, I hear myself saying that but may, I need to focus more I need to follow with the group more or maybe I'm going too slow or I'm too high or they can sort of make those observations and that's with the help of an iPad. I mean, so yeah, the two biggest things I, I think I will always, um, if a elementary music teacher walks up to me and says, you know, what, do, what should I start doing? Skype is number one, always on my list. And then, I mean, using a device in the classroom, even if it's just for recording, um, is always big too. When you were doing that recording with your iPad and your kids, what did you have that uh, hooked up to for playback? Was, did you just use the iPad or did you have some external speakers or what? Um, I actually had a block rock, uh, block rocker in my room. Um, it was my best friend. It was always right next to me in the circle. And I had an uh, audio jack that I could just plug into, um, which made it really, really easy to be able to do that sort of stuff. Yeah, because I don't think those iPad mini speakers are really that loud to... Uh to cover nope. that <laughs> ipad pro though might be i've not tried that those are pretty loud i i keep telling myself i need to hold off on getting one of those they do look very pretty though they are they're nice i'm holding off until they announce the next ones but we we don't know when that's going to happen right now it's a good question yeah what else we have chris katie anything else you want to say about quaver to wrap that part of it up well i mean talking about quaver especially in terms of digital curriculum um i mean one thing that i usually get asked is what about the student books what about the textbooks all that and you see nowadays, especially with any sort of curriculum provider, they're going digital. And that's kind of the way it's slowly starting to go. Um, so getting your hand, starting to get your hands or your head around how a digital curriculum can meet those 21st century learners is big. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what Quaver does. I was going to, I was going to ask you, Katie, um, a couple of questions. One was, you were a young teacher and you tripped into Quaver. Mm -hmm. How how did you trip into Quaver and how did you find it originally? That's 
I've always wondered that. Um, this is actually a little bit of a funny story. Um, I was uh, brand new to teaching. Um, I w- actually met up with a friend of mine who um, we were planning on driving down to the, I think it was the second music education week that NAFME was putting on um, down in D.C., we both, I, I had been a part of um, MENC and then NAFME, NAFME um, since my freshman year of college, and she had been to, we go, had gone to almost every convention um, that they held while we were in college, so we just decided to go again, um, even though we were out of college, um, down to this music education week. Um, so we drove all the way down there. We had to actually just come from her wedding uh, wedding shower. Uh, so that's an important part of the story. <laughs> we uh, were in the general music track um, at the this music education week. So this general music track is you could sign up for say administrative track or a choir choral track or instrumental and then they had general music. So it was all these general music speakers and we did activities and games and everything. Um, and then they had a few exhibitors that were um, out at different booths. So her and I were actually walking past the Quaver booth, and I wasn't about to stop, but uh, we passed by it. We, we had just passed by it, and she grabbed my arm and whispered to me, that guy in the Quaver booth's really hot. Can we go back and talk to him? <laughs> so we went back and talked to, um, his, na- his name was Chris, um, but he's no longer with the company, but he was quite good looking. And uh, we went back and talked to Chris about Quaver, and he said, you know, we're just launching this new kids website, and me being the techie that I was saying, you know what, I'll, I'll give it a shot. My fifth graders need, I need to do more independent work and uh, project-based stuff with my fifth graders. We'll give it a shot. And uh, so, yeah, I went back, and as soon as they launched the kids site, I uh, started using that. And I wrote web quests and things like that to help my kids sort of maneuver around and um, get some really good information out of it. And then I ordered some of the essentials. And then Quaver sort of, I, I huge on Twitter, so I would always say, oh man, this Quaver Music website's really cool and all this. And um, they sort of scooped me up and put me into their quack, their Quaver advisory group, which is made up. <laughs> yeah, we, we were quackers. Um, but we, uh, we, I was in their quack. We went, I went down for a quack weekend and a quack retreat weekend, um, and all that. And, uh, I kind of went from there and I just started building the relationship and I, my heart lies more with, um, helping teachers use technology in the classroom. I, I have a extensive background um, in college. I actually worked at our tech help desk um, for four and a half years while I was going through my undergrad degree um, in music ed and did everything from answering phone calls to fixing computers at the desk to actually going and helping professors. So I started there and then when I got my first job, they, uh, I kind of took on a role as a tech coach too. So my heart lied in there and they kind of, Quaver kind of scooped me up to help 
do that sort of thing with their program and it's a great company to work for and i absolutely love them and it's been going good ever since and where is that based out of where's quaver from nashville tennessee oh nice right in uh-huh. the heart of music country good right on music row too we're like oh. right across the street from reba <laughs> oh, okay now, I was, I was going to ask you, Katie, too, when you go out to see these schools and you're you're pitching, you know, Quaver, which is part of your job, right? Um, and you walk into rooms, how often are you still seeing the teacher with a stack of CDs or the stack of cassettes that, that you're trying to deal with? How, how common is that? Oh, <laughs> um, it is very common. Uh, I mean, I've walked into many, many rooms where there's that teacher has a uh, boom box and then it has a stack of CDs, probably about 10 inches high that they're constantly switching back and forth. Um, I had, I walked into one room one time, this teacher was still using uh, vinyl, old vinyl, like 50 year Are old vinyl. Seriously? <laughs> wow. And not the new vinyl. No. Not the rebirth of vinyl. Okay. No, old, old, old wow. vinyl. I, I kind of looked at her. I'm like, really? Really? This is, how is this still surviving? Um, but yeah, it's always going to, I think it's, always being been a struggle um to get those sort of older teachers on board with what's happening nowadays they're just they feel uncomfortable they don't want to walk out of that comfort zone and try something new and you're always kind of saying well this is where it's going you're not going to find these resources that you've been using for many years for much longer um and i think uh a lot of a lot of the teachers are starting to realize that, but I think a lot of them are also saying, you know what, I'm retiring in like three four years. I'm not even going to try. Um, so you're c- kind of seeing that great divide um, right now, but it, it's getting smaller and smaller as the years go on. What are the big other elementary methods that are out there right now? If you want to buy a classroom method. Um. Me, my competitors <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah, i mean uh, not to give them credit but just i'm just curious what's out there because i remember like music and you or something like that i can't remember <laughs> but um yeah there's several things out there uh we've got music studio we've got um the silver burdett series we've got music first just came out with music first junior um there's a lot of different ones out there we were the first one to the first music curriculum to be solely digital. Um, we didn't start out as a textbook. Um, but yeah, McGraw-Hill, Pearson, Silver Burdett are three biggest ones. And then Music First is hopping right along there, uh, coming right along and uh, really coming up on us quick. I did not realize that Music that, that music First Junior was actually a competitor of Quaver. For some reason, that didn't equate in my brain. Well, um, a lot of it, what they have right now, I think, is uh, supplemental, but they're slowly starting to build a curriculum. And, I mean, we, it, it's starting to encroach more and more on what we do. And, I mean, I have the utmost respect for Music First. Absolutely lo- love those guys. But, yeah, they're uh, a competitor of us, so you got to be a little careful. Well, I just learned something there. Do you ever get a chance to like get in the classroom and teach anymore? Does any of those opportunities ever come up to you? I still teach pre-K. I teach to the little ones. 
Okay. Um, I volunteer. Where, where do you do that? Uh, actually, at uh, school, about five minutes up the road, I volunteer an hour of my week every week and go teach to um, special needs uh, preschools. Um, I've been doing that for I think this is my third year. Um, doing that. I just went to go, I actually just went to go do my visit today and I'll start next week. That's fantastic. That's, that's just great that you get to actually still be in the classroom too, and that you're helping out and donating your time. And imagine Quaker, or (laughs) imagine Quaver appreciates that too. I, yeah, I absolutely, it it keeps my foot in the classroom door. Um, It helps me keep grounded and and still able to kind of wrap my mind around what the teachers need and uh, really what's still going on. My mom actually teaches, uh, is actually a speech pathologist in the same preschool. So we talk a lot about um, the different needs and stuff of those children. Um, but yeah, we're able to really, um, it, it's, it, it's a good thing. It's, and then we have a new pre-K curriculum coming out in Quaver. So I'm able to start testing that a little bit. Okay. I know Katie, I'd love to have you on again, especially after Quaver has its big announcement for whatever you were kind of teasing today. I don't think that was a plan, but you actually would love to be able to tell us, but you can't. Yes. Um, and, and both Paul and I beta software. So we totally <laughs> understand that. There are times that you know things that you just can't share. We get that. Um, but I would love, and again, I would love to flesh out some more about technology for elementary music educators. At some point, we're going to ask Amy if she'd like to come and, and visit with us. And I don't know if Amy's advising music first, too. I know she's very close to those people, too. I think she is. Also, to hear more about Quaver when you guys have the Kodai stuff released and the the or stuff released and just to hear more about that because again we want the podcast hopefully to help music educators of all kind not just people that teach middle school and high school choir and middle school and high school band you know although yeah yeah those are good people too most of us are anyway <laughs> of course you guys are great <laughs> so i would love to have you again in the future if you'd be willing to do that and i really appreciate you taking the time to to come and visit with us thank you for having me it's been a blast you guys are awesome to talk to it's been fun. We appreciate it. And a final thing before you go, Katie, if anybody needs to contact you in an official capacity at Quaver, how would they find you? And would you like to plug any of your own like blogs or anything else at the, before you head out? Yeah, um, my official Quaver email is katie, C-A-T-I-E, at quavermusic.com. That's my official Quaver email. Um, and yeah, I'm a lot on, my best thing is probably Twitter, uh, at musiccargirl14. I do a lot of different um, stuff like that. And I'll usually post, uh, I have a travel blog and then I have a elementary music uh, ed blog too that I'll usually post updates to that. So yeah. All right, so that pretty much wraps up this episode. We'll get Katie on again in the future if she's willing. And she sounds like she is, so that's good. I'm excited she's willing to come back again. So. Yeah, and we're we're glad to have her, and we thank all of you for listening. And again, you can get a hold of us at metpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll come back next time.